everyone. Welcome to GradCast and uh, a new setup now. We're doing some pre-recorded shows and then broadcasting to you uh, on Tuesdays, 6 p.m. as usual on CHRW. And this is a really, I'd say a really special uh feature we have tonight oh thanks yeah (laughs) oh you gave it away you gave it away (laughs) yeah the secret is tonight uh me susan anthony with tanya nagpal hello we are interviewing sort of a exit interview as it were of our very own julia palazzi hello Mm. two days away from the defense day yes yes so hopefully Everything's fresh and uh, should have a really good show. Yeah, you better know your project. If I don't know it here, I definitely won't know Thursday. So, (laughs) hoping for the best. Well, it it is kind of a it's it's a bittersweet uh, time because it'll be sad to see you go. You've been fantastic on the Mm -hmm. show, and we've loved having you and yeah it's been oh, what, thanks, a year guys. now it has i think my first interview is march 15th i remember what that. That. i remember what i was wearing yeah, yeah 2016 yeah yeah that's, <laughs> i remember that day well too because i actually just re-listened to our interview of you Ooh. so i'll do my best not to ask the exact same questions as last time but also you know, i want to make sure that people know what's going exactly, on yeah <laughs> so really i i mean we kind of work down the hall from each other a bit. Our offices are down the hall, so we see each other frequently. I know a bit about your project. I know you're studying peatland ecosystems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> love those peatlands. Absolutely. And I think I brought scotch in the last interview, so yeah, mm. I've got to throw that in. <laughs> Hoping there's a sponsor out there, maybe. I don't know <laughs> one. Okay. Um, I guess we can start off with. What is peatland? Just sure. paint us a picture of your study site, okay. what it looks like, what it smells like, all that great stuff. Okay, so I will start from London, Ontario. The <laughs> The drive to White River, so White River is located in about central northern Ontario. The drive from London is about 12 hours. And once you're in White River, the drive to the site is about 40 minutes southwest. And we, the site is um, a peatland complex with a variety of types of peatland. So a peatland is a type of wetland and it's defined, uh, I'll get very technical here, it's (laughs) defined as having 40 centimeters depth of peat. And peat is just um, a type of organic soil that's composed of partially decomposed plant material. And so once you get to the sites, so I have two sites, and I'll refer to them as a poor fen and an intermediate fen. And these names just refer to the relative hydrology and nutrient concentrations. So in the poor fen, once you get to the dirt road that leads you into the site, the hike's about like 15 minutes in, and you're surrounded with a lot of black spruce trees, tamarack trees. And then once you get into the fen, there is mosses all over the ground, um, a lot of species of mosses, uh, sphagnum moss, and there's a bunch of shrubs and a lot of uh, trees. And a lot of these kind of hilly, small hilly things that are called hummocks, um, that are these kind of dry mounds of moss. And so that's the porphen site, which has lower nutrients, lower water table, and lower pH. 
this is in contrast to the intermediate fen site, which is a bit of a longer hike, I think, from the dirt road. And this site is mainly dominated by a uh, sedge, so just like a wetland grass. And it is a larger site, um, less trees in the interior, and it's just covered in, in uh, sedges, mainly carex sedge. And there are some shrubs as well and smaller amounts of moss, but mainly dominated by sedges. And the intermediate fen has a higher water table, so it's wetter and it has more nutrients and a higher pH. Cool. cool. Thank yeah. you so that much. Was for that was very technical. Yes. No, that was great. <laughs> Good. It kind of gives me that idea. So I'm picturing your poor fen with a uh, like not as muddy not as wet and yeah. these big trees like so you, gnarly kind of falling over christmas trees nice. wow. you know really so like haggard maybe, looking maybe a crow kind exactly a is, you know crows just yeah. like swarming over my head <laughs> yeah. and it's very interesting uh, scenes in the white river and then you go to the intermediate one and it's these these grasses and you you're, you gotta wear gum boots big time exactly yeah. walking on the boardwalks blue skies oh, you might see like a bear the trees aren't there to get in the way of the sky. <laughs> exactly. exactly and these are both both of these are going to be in the northern part of ontario yeah so um these peatlands i work in are kind of on the southern edge of where peatlands are in Ontario. So the the largest peatland complex in Ontario and actually the, the second largest peatland complex in the world is the Hudson Bay l- l- lowlands. And so that's kind of more like the northern, northern Ontario, very, very far away from here. But this is part of what you call the boreal peatland. Uh, yeah. So it must be so nice up there. It is. It's one of my favorite uh, spots to go. And if I'm having a tough time, I just kind of think of myself hiking in the peatlands. And uh, it's very relaxing and soothing. So when we talked last year, you talked about how you got into this project. And you got into the project. You were saying you were already sort of up there and you kept... The, the peat kept calling you. The peat kept calling me back, exactly. So, yeah, I guess ever since, you know, my kind of, if I can call it a, a scientific career, began um, in my in my bachelor's, I was working in a paleoecology lab, so just doing physical analyses on peat cores. And so what, what is, sorry, yeah. what is well, a physical analysis of a peat core? Good question. So... <laughs> I would take uh, subsamples from, let's say, a meter-long uh, peat core and see how much moisture is in there, see the, the bulk density, um, you know, the carbon that's in there. And so you literally, like, it's like like coring out, like they exactly. do the trees and stuff to get the tree rings. You core out into the soil. Yep, you use um, something that's called a Russian core, and you essentially just kind of plunge it into the ground, twist it, retrieve it, and scrape out the peat core, throw the peat core in like a plastic uh, PVC type thing and label it very, very carefully <laughs> and uh, wrap it up and have it on some ice and then just analyze it when you get back in the lab. So what are you looking cool. for when you analyzed it? Um, You're well, saying carbon, so it's like the yeah. amount of carbon kind of signifies things that are living right or or having lived at one point exactly basis of life exactly so 
peatlands are functionally important ecosystems because they store so much carbon. Peatlands cover like two to three percent of the land surface um, in the world. That's a lot. And they store about 30 percent of the world's terrestrial carbon. So you can imagine kind of their effect um, in, in importance, especially for things for climate change. So we sample these peat cores to, it depends what kind of you're looking at. So when I was doing paleo stuff and kind of looking at past environments, um, this was, you know, maybe how carbon accumulated over time. Maybe we sampled um, other things in the peat cores like testate amoeba or what have you. What to is, what is I don't even know that. <laughs> testate is, I think, a micro organism that um, we can tell things like water table depth and that kind of thing. So they're kind of like an indicator. like A paleo indicator, exactly. So they tell you what it was like in the past. Exactly. (sighs) And there's also pollen that we can use to maybe um, inform us about regional climates and that kind of thing. So what other species were there? Yeah. And so we can map this so we can paint a picture of past climates, um, past plants that were living there and, you know, changes in hydrology, changes in pH, what have you, and kind of piece together, you know, how these plant communities changed over time and what that meant for the the carbon implications in terms of, you know, um, maybe some plants are better at storing carbon, maybe some conditions are more impactful for kind of inducing this change in in plant uh, community. And so there's just this rich history of like thousands of years of information that we can obtain from peat cores. Now that was what I did in my undergrad. And yeah, what I was going to say I this is beyond yeah. your your yeah. what you did. I, I am curious though, but it does did. inspire what you're doing now. Exactly. So. Yeah. So now I do more um, contemporary stuff and look at uh, plants. And I guess they're linkages, so like above ground plants like mosses or sedges and their links with the properties of uh, the peat below ground. So when I say below ground, I'm talking maybe like the first 25 centimeters below the, the peat surface. So okay. what are the kind of links you're talking about? Like how, how are they linked? Because I think about my garden. So mm-hmm. I've got soil that I plant my plants into and the plants above ground. So how does that soil, what I do to that soil, how does it impact the plant above? What are the leakages? Yeah, so there's a lot of feedbacks, a lot happening. And I guess to break it down, plants have physical, chemical, and biological effects on the environment. So um, plant root structure morphology can like act as a physical link below ground um, where the roots can create pores for like water flow, aeration, what have you. Um, so that's like kind of... Like Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So plants are actually like f- physically connected and plants are chemically linked below ground through the plant material that dies and then kind of is uh, broken down um, on top of the peat uh, or I guess any type of... Uh, surface and then those nutrients in the plants um, go to the below ground soil and there they are available for plant uptake or the microbial community or rather the the decomposer community below ground and that's the the biological link that I was talking about. So like the the dead plants end up being 
like chemist chemical food for the exactly next very much so yeah it actually reminds me over last summer i was in tofino and there Ooh. were trees that were dead but then live trees were growing out of the dead oh, trees. the nursery yeah. trees yeah. interesting so is does that related in some way or totally i think um I mean, I, I'm not quite familiar with, mm -hmm. with that type of thing, but I, I know that these kind of relationships or plants affect below ground through their connections with roots, through their materials and their, their leaves and stuff. Um, that kind of holds true in, in a lot of ecosystems. Hmm. And so you painted us a great picture. Thank you. About the two fans. Like, I, I kind of want to go visit now. Yeah, yes. really. But they have different properties to them you yeah. were saying about water table and uh, you were mentioning ph that's like that's like acidity and exactly. so some an animals oh my goodness i'm so animal centric <laughs> some plants can do better or worse depending on what they're used to and again talking back to what we talked about um at your last interview you have this thing called a home field advantage yeah which i love names that really just like you can relate to that name yeah so that's kind of the almost like a theory behind what you're studying. Exactly, yeah. So I can talk about the home field advantage now. So the home field advantage is exactly what you think it is. It comes from sports <laughs> uh, where teams typically have a higher percentage of winning at home because they're used to the facilities, they travel less. Um, just There's a, a bunch of things that would... Uh, make them win more at home. The and audience. so, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Having the support from the crowd. And so, the same kind of observation was seen in plants where, um, in what we call reciprocal transplant experiments, so just taking plants from two environments and swapping them, it was observed that plants decompose more quickly in the environment that they they originated from. Mm -hmm. And so um, a couple of running theories behind this is that these below ground communities, our decomposers, are specifically adapted to that above ground plant material that they encounter most often. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tested in peatlands. Mm -hmm. So you, you think, I remember hearing, listening back to it thinking, wait, that's a bad thing being decomposed. Right, I was gonna but, say, take us back to grade three. What does it mean when plants decompose and sure. how does that benefit benefit us if, you're, if it's a good thing? Sure, so uh, I guess decomposition is just the breakdown of plant material. And it's good for the home field advantage because the plants have specific requirements. They have specific nutrient requ requirements. So our mosses have uh, low nutrient tissues and they decompose more slowly, resulting in nutrients being released to the environment more slowly, which is is helpful for them because they grow slowly. So by them kind of f facilitating that positive feedback, they create conditions suitable for their continued growth. So mm -hmm. their decomposition rates help their growth rate. Exactly. Okay. So this above so ground, below ground feedback. Okay. And this is the same thing for our sedge, our grass, which is fast growing, you know, acquires nutrients very quickly, resulting in higher nutrient plant material, which decomposes faster, resulting in higher nutrient availability, which satisfies that fast plant growth. So again, we have this kind of feedback where the n nutrient, um, 
I guess, capacities of the plant litter kind of create these uh, below ground nutrient conditions that kind of help their above ground plant growth. So a plant from in its own habitat degrades at just the right rate to grow more things at that at its own environment. Yeah. And part and your experiment was to see if that's that holds true at your peats. It, it's true. That that exa- is exactly what I did. So um, I actually found that th- we do see a home field advantage. We see a very strong home field advantage, but only for the dominant plants of the site. So what I mean by this is our sphagnum moss, which uh, I mentioned earlier is most uh, prominent in the porphen. We see a strong home field advantage for sphagnum from the porphen and placed back at that site. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for carex from the intermediate fen. Right. Um, so... So yeah, I, th- I think that's very interesting, but I actually don't have a great answer as to what is causing this. And this has mm-hmm. been, um, I guess, you know, kind of kind of talked about, hemmed and hot over. And what I have for you is that, w- and what I think is going on is that just through successive rounds of plant growth and plants being uh, d- d- decomposed, that plant material selects for the the decomposer community that is best able to break down that material. So when you say the dominant plant, would that be the most common plant there or the plant that's, I guess, uh, contributing the most in terms of when it decomposes the nutrients that are released or what does dominant mean, I guess? Yeah. Um, So I think you're right about that. I think those two things are related. So um, yeah, what I mean by dominant is just being kind of the most uh, common plant, highest densities, mm-hmm. um, you know, the most kind of prevalent one that you would see just walking around. Hmm. So you you found that something, you're not quite sure about how the interaction happened. Like how did yeah. it work out, the balance happened between what decomposes and what is there? Yeah, or, or just like why would this particular plant material be preferentially decomposed in its in its home environment. Um, and just kind of what's causing this this inherent connection between our below ground and, and uh, above ground. And I just think that over time, just the things that are there most often will just kind of select for the microorganisms that can best uh, kind of handle that 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 plant material that keeps kind of coming down every year. And that term we use um, select for it's more like the things that don't do well just exactly. Die out, it's, really, yeah, it's kind of called the, I think it's called local adaptation. Is <laughs> but that's beyond. That's that's all I know about it to be honest. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the crux of the problem with masters is you get some cool results and then you want to know more and exactly. then it's over. Exactly, you're <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. So on that note, where where do we go after these two days after the defense is over? Or what is your plan, I guess? Oh, oh, already here. Um, <laughs> or well, where would you like, like to, to go? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I would really like to merge my two passions of paleo and plant traits. So, um, which I guess I didn't really mention before, but just kind of looking at plant community changes over time in a, a peat core and kind of mapping on 
changes in climate, changes in hydrology, whatever, with the changes in plants, and maybe pinpointing what plant traits are most important for driving that shift in dominant plant community. So you mentioned plant traits. Um, we were talking about this last time and now because you mentioned plant traits of, say, sphagnum is that they're not very nutritious. They're harder to break down. Exactly. So what are, and you mentioned that you also thought with this reciprocal transplant that you thought plant traits would have a lot to do with it. So yeah. what other kind of plant traits are there? Sure. You, you mentioned poor nutrients. Yeah. So a plant trait is really any uh, characteristic of a plant that influences its growth, reproduction, or survival. And so I'm talking about plant height, leaf area, leaf mass, uh, leaf total, n nitrogen, carbon, whatever. So really any uh characteristic of a plant that we can either and we use these things to infer how they respond to the environment so there are things called response traits like height and leaf area which you know we we can infer how they respond to a change in uh, environmental conditions and there are effect traits that affect ecosystem processes and so these are commonly things like leaf nitrogen or leaf carbon that would influence how quickly a plant is able to be broken down. Hmm. And you also mentioned that that peat bog. So this is back to the paleoclimatology, yeah. which is such a great word. It is. Uh, it's a buzzword. Yeah. It, it, well, you see a lot of people doing similar things using cores of ice. Because, oh. you, you know, you get ice cores, you get bubbles in the ice, and you can actually read the carbon yeah. in those bubbles. And you're kind of doing something similar, taking the plant material and reading its like yes. carbon and getting an idea of past, past climates. So exactly. What about now climates? Like... What can you tell me about, you say peatlands take in a lot of more carbon than mm -hmm. expected. What, yeah. Is there, they're in trouble? Is, is this is good? We're happy for them? Yeah, so I'm happy you asked me this because this, this kind of, um, what I'm about to say is underlining, you know, my motivations for this research. So field studies and lab studies have found that under climate change conditions, so increased temperature and CO2 concentrations, we expect to see a shift in the, the dominant plant community. So what they found is we see the shift from our mosses, our slow growing, slow decomposing, really good carbon sequestering mosses to a sedge, um, which are faster awesome. growing, faster decomposing. And so, um, you know, right now we're okay with the plants and, and everyone's happy, but, you know, when we do see this increase in temperature and CO2 concentrations, we could see and expect to see a shift in, in plants to a more kind of nutritious plant that would accelerate uh, carbon cycling and potentially switch carbon, the carbon sink function of peatlands to a carbon source. So please don't mark my words there, but <laughs> I'm sure a lot of others will be raising their eyebrows right now. But, um, you know, there, there is a lot of evidence to, to show that this, this might happen. That's, oh, that's a great point to sort of switch gears on, actually. <laughs> um, I hope that also peatlands are going to be preserved as much as possible for their importance. I do hope so as well. So... On another topic, so yes, again, so, so much to talk about. Yeah, we have another topic, and we only have a few minutes to talk about it. Wow. But it's only I'm 
really thrilled to talk to you about. Uh, we brought it up at your first interview yeah. is you are someone in grad, a grad student with a stutter. Exactly. And having a stutter you hasn't kept you back. You have been on the radio live yeah, lots and times. you've been fantastic at it. Thanks. I just want to say, it's, again, it's been so great having you. And not only that, but how about uh, winning awards for presentations? I remember one day we were at the Biology Graduate Research Forum and you got runner-up for best talk. Yeah. And you've, I heard through the grapevine you got first prize at a speech speaking competition. Yeah. Outside you. of university yeah you heard very right very correctly <laughs> so we talked about you know having sort of accommodations and having some the only issues that you found that really hampered were time constraints yeah. for proposals and such how have you felt it now in retrospect your time as a graduate student with this daughter yeah so I'm really happy you asked me this too because I think it's having this adversity has really forced me to seek extra, not maybe extra help, but just try a bit harder where others may not have to work so hard. So, you know, I practice presentations a crazy amount of time. Um, I put a lot of effort. I, I'm a member of Toastmasters, which is a public speaking club. We have one here at school. If you want to come by UCC on Wednesdays, 12 to 1, um, that's really, really helped me. And so just kind of putting this deliberate practice in has really proved um, to help me and to, you know, not only make speaking clear and and um, more fluent, but also just that I actually love speaking and I love to talk and I love to give speeches and, you know, I love to be on the radio. And I think that um, I may not have tapped into that true passion without having this kind of external forcing. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're great at it. Yeah, so, I was say, so you kick all of our butts at it. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it's like the practice is evident. It comes with like the eloquency and when you're speaking and just and then for someone like myself who knows very little about biology, it's yeah. it's great to be able to uh, hear about such a field and you explain it very well and oh, very thanks, fluid. Guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, and it, again, that. it's been fantastic having you as part of GradCast. You've been excellent your enthusiasm and your excitement about all the guests and just great questions oh it's yeah. been a blast it's been really really fun and you know i i know that this uh spoken word show will live on for many <laughs> years to come because it's just a really good show yeah. so it was a really uh, a privilege to be on it oh thank you it's a privilege always sharing the sharing the mics with you yeah. and best of luck with your defense and everything oh, thanks. afterwards yeah. thanks guys we'll make sure I'll, we'll be there to toast the gobble of knowledge with you that sounds good that sounds amazing <laughs> all right well thank you so much julia you're for, so welcome <laughs> for coming and talking to us about your work um this has been GradCast. You can catch us every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW. And also, if you want to find us online, look up uh, through podcasts, look through your iTunes and all that. And uh, also catch us at gradcast.ca. At, uh, gradcast and if you want to be part of our group, if you want to fill the big shoes that Julia <laughs> is leaving, if you want to be part of us or want to be show us your research, want to be on the radio, please feel free to email us at gradcast.ca radio at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.